This podcast is brought to you by Highland. Highland offers solutions that complement your core insurance business, providing employees with a complete view of the information they need when and where they need it. Helping you deliver better experiences is at the heart of everything they do. Learn more at highland.com forward slash insurance. That's highland, H-Y-L-A-N-D dot com forward slash insurance. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Kachansky and welcome to episode 72 of InsureTech Insider. Uh, We are still recording remotely, so this gives us an opportunity to speak to people from all around the world and we would love your suggestions um, of people we could get on the show uh, to hear from about all aspects of the industry. Do get in contact by emailing podcast11fs.com with your suggestions of who we should speak to. So today is the show that Nigel has been waiting for. We are talking about insurance for e-scooters and e-bikes. Um, it's hard to think that anyone will have missed the rental e-scooter trial that's been announced in the UK, especially if they listen to this podcast. But we're going to be talking about what this means in terms of insurance for riders. Um, as always, I'm not alone. Uh, today I am joined by my co-host Nigel Walsh, who I believe has come to record from his holiday. He's so excited about this episode of the podcast. I am indeed on holiday. I have spotted many an e-bike flying past me up hills. And I'm very excited by this thing. I think, you know what, in a year's time, we're going to be saying how good e-scooters are. Um, I'm not sure, but let's let's get onto that with it. With let's let's get there. Um, we're also joined by two amazing guests. Hopefully, he'll provide a little bit of balance for the discussion today. First up, we have Stan Saar, CEO and co-founder at Zigo. How are you today, Stan? Hello, I'm very good. Um, so I hear that you've had some pretty big news recently, uh, Zigo. That is not you personally. Um, would you like to tell us about that? Yes. Well, we uh, we announced the first um, trial that we are doing for e-scooters. Um, we are participating and insuring a company called Ginger up in T Valley, and uh, we went live and they operational, and uh, we are the insurance partner there. How exciting. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that as the show goes on. Uh, we are also joined today by Kelly Barnes, who is the Vice President of Marketing at Lacquer. How are you today, Kelly? I'm super. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. Perfect. Um, so we have had uh, your colleagues on the show before, but perhaps you could give us a little refresher of what, what Lacquer is and what Lacquer does. Yeah, so Lacquer, we're a, a kind of fresh take on, on insurance. Um, I think it's fair to say we're, we're one of the leading bicycle insurance companies in the UK now um, that, that challenges that traditional insurance model. Um, we've, we've introduced something called a, a collective model. Um, and what that, what that means is that we don't charge customers up front. We charge them at the end of the month. And, and what we do is we, we calculate the, the premium based on the, the actual costs of, of claims made by our by our collective that month. Um, so we offer customers a variable pricing model um, where they have a kind of a max cap. Um, but also, they benefit from the savings of, of months where there are lower claims. Um, and then in addition to that, we've also moved away from traditional annual policies, um, allowing customers, I think it's a, a modern way um, to allow them to pay on a, on a rolling month basis. Um, and then probably finally, we've we've just um, launched a very exciting new look lacquer. Um, so we're now kind of aligning our brand with with lacquer's growth plans. Um, so yeah, you guys should take a look. Brilliant. I'm sure I'm sure Nigel will be on that. I know he's a big fan of your products. Um, so we're going to set the scene by talking about what has a. Uh, 
I suppose, made the requirement for this new type of insurance. Um, so, Nigel, would you like to take us through some of the background here? I am all in. Right. So let me let me read this out so I get it absolutely correct. Um, according to Google Trends data, since the start of lockdown, I guess that's what the end of March or mid-March, uh, there's been a surge in interest in electric scooters with a 376% increase in searches. That's quite scary in itself, actually. It's a big number. E-scooters are freely available to buy in the UK, but can only be ridden on private land with the permission of the landowner. From the July the 4th, 2020, this year, the government started limited legal trials of rented electric scooters on public roads, cycle paths and lanes as part of its review of transport following the easing of lockdown. And then during the year-long trial, e-scooters will be classified as motor vehicles and people will need full or provisional driver's licenses, car, motorcycle or moped, and insurance to ride one. Now, four simple bullet points, but so much in there to unpack. <laughs> so much in there to unpack. Where do we even start? All right, let me let me kick this off by um, picking up the insurance point, because, um, you know, as we're an insurance podcast, that seems a good place to start. Um, so for for perhaps one for, for Sten here, but is this a particularly uh, new type of insurance or have you taken kind of existing products and policies that you already have and been able to adapt them for, for the e-scooter products um, and the e-scooter model? So uh, e-scooter insurance for the UK is brand new, as we are all talking about it now. For Zika, we've been already insuring these vehicles for almost over a year now in Europe. And actually, we have, I mean, we've got millions and millions of journeys that we've already insured. So I would argue that we are the kind of a, the uh, the longest in the, the in the place so far. So for us, it's not nothing necessarily new. And the cover that's out there is a normal third-party-only cover that's mandatory uh, as per the regulation uh, at the moment, part of the trials. And that's the cover we essentially offer based on usage. And that's our kind of a bread and butter. So it's a very, very fitting for the, the suite of products that you, you already offer then? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we offer insurance products for uh, two-wheel engine scooters, cars, vans, and uh, we offer that for individuals and we offer that for companies and they're all based on usage. And so uh, for us, it's just another type of vehicle. What is exciting about or confusing at the same time, it's a, it's a kind of a light vehicle in a sense and it's people have struggled to put it is it a motor vehicle or is it a kind of a more like a bicycle and i think that has caused a lot of confusion and at least in the uk everyone is trying to kind of get their head around which which category to put that product in so so that is a good start right the confusion point because i've out here in the cotswolds where i'm on holiday right now in the uk i've seen lots of people whizzing past me on e-bikes and whilst they have a motor and pedals they don't require insurance is that correct you go stan you know more about it than i do i was just going to say that that from my bit basic understanding you do not need insurance to ride an e-bike on the road in the united kingdom but there are different laws in different parts of the world but stan is probably going to completely correct me now <laughs> no you're absolutely right it's the kind of a pedal assisted that's what the kind of difference is. And e-scooters are not pedal assisted, which more which means that they are uh, classified as a kind of a motor vehicle and part of road traffic act. Although technically speaking, if you think about the speed and uh, kind of a lightness of this, it's, uh, it's in a very similar category. And uh, quite frankly, it's a kind of a new way of moving around in an urban city. 
And uh, when the laws were created, this vehicle didn't exist. Maybe only um, like kids were using the tiny, tiny ones that were more like a toys. Whereas now it's become a real meaningful uh, means of transport. So, um, so, so Kelly, do you offer e-bike insurance at LACA? No, um, e-bike or e-scooter? E-bike or yep. e-scooter, if you um, offer either, actually. I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting you to say that you might offer e-scooter, but if you do that, then brilliant. That, that's me being unprepared in my notes. No, no. Um, in terms of e-bike, yes. Um, if you look at a, an e-bike policy and a, 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 gen, a general bike policy, they would be very similar. Um, the only differences really would be in the actual policy benefits. Um, you know, if you have an e-bike specific policy, it might cover e-bike battery theft, for example. Um, and there are certain elements of cover that you don't need, such as um, triathlon transition cover, um, because they don't have <laughs> e-bikes. Um, so, yeah, it, I wish they did. Wow, I might do one <laughs> if they did. Yeah, maybe we should ask the British Triathlon Federation. Um, but yes, essentially they are they are the same policy from a from a top level, um, and they're just adjusted to to provide customers with more bespoke policy benefits. Um, so yes, we offer e bike um, insurance as as most um, bicycle insurers would. But not, we don't offer e-scooter insurance. <laughs> no, I, I didn't think you did. I thought you were just going to throw me a curveball there. Um, so does your, your e-bike insurance, um, it just covers the actual sort of property. It doesn't necessarily cover liability rights. So if you hit somebody on an e-scooter and you have your e-scooter insurance policy, you're not covered. Yeah, so if you're on an e-bike, you would be covered for um, the property but also you'd be covered for personal accident, um, third party liability, et cetera. Okay, perfect. So um, the interesting thing here about the model that we have in the UK with the trial is that the, so we, we've talked about bikes there and the, the impetus on, on the bicycle rider is to have insurance themselves if they want it, there's no requirements, we've covered that. But the interesting thing is we've talked about the difference is that with rental scooters, um, you have to have insurance. And more than that, it has to be provided by the, the scooter provider. So it's not, it's not on me. So as a driver, it's on me to insure myself on my car. As an e-scooter rider, it's on the person who is owning the or providing the, the scooter, the vehicle to provide the insurance, which I think is a, a slightly different model to, to anything else I can think off the top of my head. If somebody else might have a better example. Um, um, Stan, do you want to tell us perhaps about maybe the difficulties of, of doing it that way? Or, or is it, you know, perhaps it isn't that difficult because it's similar to being a fleet owner or something like that? You're absolutely right, Sarah. Like it's, um, it's very similar, like you would insure a fleet. Because at the end of the day, those companies own those uh, e-scooters. And then uh, because of the, uh, and, and it actually applies in many countries, like in Germany, France, they do require the third party um, insurance, very similar like in the UK. And um, like if you just say to the drivers, I rent you the vehicle, but actually insurance is not my worry, I don't think the public will be safe enough. So it needs to be done through a kind of a, owners of the vehicles who are ultimately offering that service. And um, I think that's the way how we can guarantee the safety of the public. The, it's really interesting. So, so, so are you in are you in implying, therefore, that the biggest risk isn't necessarily like you would have an emotive vehicle damage or theft. It's probably more personal injury or, or maybe even third-party injury. If you go back to the quite famous cycling case now that took place in London probably about a year ago where – a lady was hit by a cyclist, and I think it was a, 
um, the gentleman that hit her has now gone bankrupt and I think it was like £100,000 in claims. So are we talking more about personal injury or third-party injury? What are the sort of risks that insurers are looking after here? Absolutely. So let's say, uh, Nigel, I'm I'm uh, renting one of those uh, scooters and you are just kind of uh, walking across the road and I just hit you and you kind of uh, break your arm. Uh, so in this case, um, the operator's insurance policy, which we offer, covers your injury. Now, if I then, let's say, bruised my um, kind of a ankle or something, then um, uh, it depends on the cover. Uh, it's not mandatory, but we offer that for the company to put part of the insurance policy as well. So some companies want to buy that. It's not mandatory. And, and some don't want to buy that. So in, um, in that case, you would be covered and uh, I would be covered. But the me coverage is not mandatory. It's a kind of a normal personal um, like liability cover. So in, in the case, God forbid, someone gets hit and uh, they die, then uh, they'll be covered. It's, it's, I mean, all I'm going to say is that there, it is so confusing to me that the rules are so different for, for lots of different things. I mean, for example, on an, on an e-scooter, the driver has to have a driver's license. Um, Nigel, does that make any sense to you? Because I hold a driver's license for a car, which I can drive, fingers crossed, quite successfully. But I can't imagine it's going to help me a great deal on a scooter, except that perhaps I understand the road rules better. I probably have better senses for how fast the people are traveling, where they're coming from. And also I do understand what the highway code is and what road signs actually mean. Well, I'm going to show my age here. Um, I don't know if you do, you need to do the uh, written test before you get your provisional license or can you just apply still? You have to do hazard perception, I think. Oh, no, you can apply for a provisional, but then part of the driving test is a hazard perception, which these days is you sit in front of a computer and click a button. Kelly, you're nodding. I suspect you're younger than me. Did you Have you done it this way? No, my, my nephew's doing it at the moment, and he said that it's it's a bit harder than when back in the days when I did it. So that's- <laughs> They all say that, don't they? They all say that. Although that said, I suspect I would fail my driving test if I were to take it again now. <laughs> But that's my point. If all you need is a provisional license and everyone can get it without doing any pre-examination or pre-test, in theory, at 17 or whatever age, I can get my provisional license, have done no education, number one, therefore be allowed to ride a um, e-scooter quite happily without having seen what the warning signs are or whatever the, you know, whatever they, the rules of the roads may be. So that puts me in quite a dangerous spot first and foremost. But then even linking it back to staying your point a minute ago, saying, you know, God forbid you hit me and I break my arm or whatever else. What's stopping you jumping back onto your scooter and scooting off into the sunset because there's no registration numbers like there are on the back of cars or whatever else? This for me, this for me feels like a mind burn. I know some countries have um, registration numbers or plates on the back of the scooters. So you can actually identify who hit you or who is riding at any one point in time. Yeah, but uh, we as an insurer, we have a live data link with the providers, which means we get every single journey and we get uh, kind of a who's essentially driving. So when we go to the claim stage, we can work that out. Plus, it's very similar. I think very simply, we should think about it from insurance point of view. It's like a normal car insurance. You need a third party only. If you go crazy, hit someone like uh, your insurer needs to pay out the CCTV everywhere. Like the claim processing is relatively similar in that regard. I think that driver's license bit is quite uh, a unique one. In all other markets, the requirement 
is not there for you to have a driver's license to rent one of them. And I think that's predominantly my assumption was that to just kind of fast track the trial, they had to kind of stick to certain rules to get it out as soon as possible. And I think uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite optimistic that uh, by the time the trial ends, that will be reviewed. Can I just say I've Googled this because I really wanted to know the answer and I've, I've, I've got the answer in the UK about whether you can have a provisional license or not. So you should have to have a provi- have undergone some kind of test before you can drive uh, on your own on a provisional license. So if you're talking about a basic moped, which is um, 125 like CC under, you know, like a, the ones that you, you del- your pizza delivery comes on, then you have to pass what's called CBT. Um, I don't think that's cognitive behavioral therapy. As far as I understand it, it's compulsory basic training, although we could all benefit from some other CBT, I tell you. Um, but you do have to have done that before you're allowed to go on the road on your own on a moped, which is the closest thing I could think of <laughs> to an e-scooter. But you do not have to have done that if you want to ride a trial e-scooter. So, Nigel, your point is very valid. But again, uh, but the confusion it, <laughs> involved in that. <laughs> it's, it's not even the confusion. It's more the inconsistencies. Because yes. it's, you know, it goes back to Kelly's point that if a bicycle has pedals, that seems to be the exclusion that says, you know, you can always put a pair of pedals on an e-scooter and not have to get insurance for it because it's got pedals. <laughs> I'm just seeing them sticking out of the handlebars. <laughs> I mean... The, Sorry, Kelly, please. Yeah. Yes, the, there is a lot of confusion. Um, you know, I've been approached by kind of broadsheet and mainstream media for comment. Um, and the question is, what are the rules around e-scooters? Are they legal? Can people ride them? Do they need insurance? Um, so, you know, even now within the media, it's still quite confused. And I would imagine confusing for the for the end user, the, the rider. Can I just kind of go back to the the license point for a minute before before we take a break today? But um, so if I'm riding an e-scooter and I have a full car license and my license is completely clean and always has been, thank you very much. But if I break the rules on an e-scooter and I then get points on my driving license, is my insurer going to blow their nut and my premiums are going to go up on the car that's sitting outside the house? Very good question. I, I don't think I can give you a kind of a very clear answer here. But if I think the other way, if the license appears, so if the points appear in your license, then um, all the insurers can access that data. And, and that data is not kind of a shared what was the, what were the points for. So um, I, I, I presume that would be the case. So the answer is yes, they do, they do go on your license, as, as Sten said. I have I have not yet seen where you do an annual insurance quote for your car and it says, have you got any points on your license or uh, convictions pending? There's usually a drop down list to say, what have you got? You know, SP30, SP40, SP60. I have not said going crazy. I've not yet seen going crazy on an e-scooter as well as the drop down list items, Uh, but maybe it will be going forward, you know, and and maybe, maybe motor insurers won't take that as a uh, negligible, so as a material rateable factor in your driving your car i don't know but you've still got license you know, points in your license well if i was to like as i said earlier like no other country in europe requires a driver's license for you to use an e-scooter so my assumption is because of the kind of a, a speed to get the trials out and help people move part of covid they had to rush certain things I'm not surprised if after a certain period of time that gets removed or gets adjusted because I do agree it's very confusing. 
I mean, there's one argument that I mean, this came up on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but um, perhaps one for you, Kelly, is that I actually think that if you are going to be riding any kind of vehicle on the roads, whether that is a scooter or a bicycle or an e-bicycle, you should have some form of accountability. Because to, to Nigel's point, there was a gentleman on the, the the non-electric bike who knocked a lady over and killed her. And and that on that occasion, they knew who it was. But as a driver and as a pedestrian in London, I see, and I know it's only a very few cyclists, in the same way it's only a very few drivers, do the most stupid things and they can hurt people and they can cause accidents, absolutely, in the same way any other vehicle could. So I don't know if anybody else has a perspective on this because I think there should be some way of uh, tracking or tracing all vehicles on the road and, and I'm not I'm not being discriminatory I don't care if you're a bike or push bike or whatever so I don't know Kelly do you have any thoughts on that because I know that it perhaps it's a conversation that's come up a bit more with, with you we're talking about bikes and e-bikes etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah I mean as a as a kind of cyclist myself um, I wouldn't advocate that I would say where the issues come into play is is the speed at which you're traveling so if you look at a what the government or an insurance company would class as a a pedal assisted vehicle um, a bicycle or an e-bicycle and the speeds that they can do and even with an e-bike the amount of wattage um, and the amount of speeds that they are allowed to do are um, capped um, not just by the government but by the, the brands that that build the bikes um so i think unless unless there's a huge change in the brands saying we we now want to build these bikes that go 40 miles an hour which the e-scooters can do up to um i i do think there's an argument for for that e-scooter regulation based on on the speed and therefore the potential insurance risk and potential um risk to to person that can be done so that that's what it's based on for me is that that yeah. kind of speed. And the thing I just brought, brought to mind is though that I do know that in Richmond Park they had to install speed cameras on the pavements because they had people who were basically time trialing their bikes and professional cyclists going at 40 50 miles an hour. And I know that's quite a niche example but my point is that you can on a pedal bike get that fast. I think you have to live in Richmond and have the money to buy that kind of bike. But um and I understand it's quite a niche argument but I I do think the speed point perhaps has 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 um perhaps hasn't been defined yet properly nigel i'll let you you make your point sorry no you've just given me the thought process and i just had a quick look while you were talking about the the penalty codes on the uk government website because this now links back to the whole um having a driving license point so the scooters are limited to 15 miles an hour from memory uh and no doubt sten you'll confirm that shortly um but that also means just looking at the other codes can you therefore be stopped for driving whilst under the influence of alcohol or drugs or driving without due care and attention or reckless driving of your scooter, which has a material effect? You don't want to be, you don't want, um, you know, DR10 or DR61, which are, you know, giving, refusing to give permission for your blood analysis while you're very, very drunk on an e-scooter trying to get home from the pub. Okay. I mean, this is serious offences. Let, let's pause that there, and perhaps we can pick that up that up in the next section. But before we before we get onto that, um, we need your help. InsureTech Insider listeners, we need you. If you listen to this show, whether this is your first episode or your 72nd episode, or you come in and out and that's fine too, we'd love it if you could take a few minutes to give us your feedback and suggestions to help shape the future of the show, both InsureTech Insider, but also our sister podcast, FinTech Insider. 
We want to know what you like, what you don't like, where we can improve, uh, because we make this podcast for you. So we just want to make it even better. To help us out, please take a moment to visit bit.ly forward slash fintech insider survey. It shouldn't take more than five minutes to complete, um, and it will mean so much more to us, and hopefully you'll get a better podcast. That's bit.ly forward slash fintech insider survey. Thank you so much, and on with the show. So um, we're now going to be looking um, a little bit more more deeply at some of the differences between um, e-scooters and, and electric bikes. Um we, we possibly will come back to that point about kind of the offences and whether they, they come across, Nigel. Um, but the first thing that I want to, to ask perhaps for, for Sten is that, um, in all honesty, who else out there is doing this kind of insurance for e-scooters? Like, who, who, what other companies are, are, are in this market? I mean, there's lots of um, uh, large traditional insurers who are trying to do it. Um, so... Um like all their kind of uh, large household names, but they're really struggling. I know that like one, we've not yet done, like we will be announcing it in the coming weeks and months. We've got very many kind of exciting partnerships to announce, which I can't talk about it now. But um, uh, one, for example, where we're quoted like normal car kind of a full rates, which was like they would never be able to start the business. A UK company, a startup who is trying to launch and help movement uh, mobility in covid times right and uh, when they found us they were like, incredibly thankful that we are be able to design products that are quite frankly on a usage base rather than a, a flat fee like a car equivalent on an annualized basis but every like the there's as i've gathered all the large insurers are trying to do it i don't know how successful they are uh, but uh, i mean as i said we are insuring in um, there's more than kind of a five six providers in many markets we've done like many many millions of journeys in short and there's tens of millions on the way and um but everyone is trying to get in there well that's the point i suppose everybody sees it as an opportunity um and perhaps that opportunity um will be a spur for innovation uh amongst insurance and mobility generally i don't know about about you kelly but maybe you think but you know if they see this as a huge opportunity within uh within e-scooters perhaps they'll have a look at other kinds of policies they offer across other kinds of vehicles and perhaps it's the chance for for, for to just a, a general you know rise and surge in innovation in this particular part of insurance because you know whilst everybody's competing with other people we, we all want to see the industry do well we all want to see innovation across the board um i don't know what are your thoughts on that kelly yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um, to, to Sten's point, there are the larger companies who are um, looking for a, a slice of the action. But insurance generally is, is quite saturated within the kind of bicycle market. Um, but what we're finding is that a lot of the, the bicycle insurers, um, I think there's not the appetite to look at this yet. Um, I think for two reasons, um, they don't really understand the risk. So companies like Zigo, um, who've been in that kind of industry for a while in terms of the gig economy and fleet insurance, you know, they'll have the data to back up what that risk profile looks like, um, whereas your your kind of general bicycle insurer wouldn't. Um, so there's not quite an appetite to go into that market yet. Um, and I also think that it won't be until the government announces the results of the trial and how that they're going to classify e-scooters moving forward um that's where you'll see a lot a lot more players come into the market um and hopefully bring that kind of innovation in with them 
I guess just on that point, and the question for both of you, is that because, or two questions really, is that because bike insurers understand loss, theft, damage, and not personal injury? And traditional carriers understand personal injury, whiplash and all the other things that come with it and, and, and uh, tissue damage and everything else, as well as theft damage and everything else, number one. And then number two, can we see scooter companies get into motor vehicle insurance because they've understood it in reverse rather than a bike insurer going to motor insurance? Well, I, I think uh, fundamentally what you're highlighting is understanding of risk. Who understands the risk? In my opinion, the large uh, insurers have been told their teams to get into this, but they don't really know how and what to do. And quite frankly, the premiums are a lot less compared to motor. So if they incentivize personally on kind of uh, sales numbers and bonuses and some of the other things, there's a lot kind of a general interest to, to go into that. And it's a kind of a new, innovative, messy area. And the companies they work with are all new, innovative, innovative who don't have much patience. They need to be quick to move. And I think that's why there's a massive clash. I don't think that, uh, and that's the point is that they don't have enough understanding of the data. They don't know how to look at the data. And that's where it boils down to because your traditional systems where you run through software houses, annual policies, none of that applies in this world. So if you if you take the, you, you know, your comment about millions of hours of or millions of journeys covered, how does that work? So the, the, the rate quote bind, I suspect, is flexible in the Zigo fashion where you can buy a policy really quickly and you could buy it for 20 minutes or an hour or whatever else. I, I think that's quite interesting, but relatively straightforward for a modern insurer like yourselves. How, how does a claims process work? How, how different is that to a traditional, uh, traditional carrier? Um, so in terms of how the policy works, it's the moment you say on the app uh, for the e-scooter that, right, I want to rent this, automatically we get the server level ping insurance starts. So it's, so it's almost like to a second level. It's not even like the blocks of minutes. And, uh, and we also uh, have a very good understanding of the location, the GPS data, and the kind of uh, uh, user information as well. So we understand the risk incredibly well. And if you genuinely have millions and millions of those, you get the very good picture and understanding of the risk, how to price it. And that's where yeah. we are. Now, in terms of uh, claims, claims is very similar. Like the reporting of a claim happens very similarly. It either gets reported uh, to the customer service team or the operator or the person who was using it, they report through their app and uh, we've got journeys that we pick it up very quickly, like uh, normally you would handle the claim. And then the claim processing is relatively similar because you deal with a bodily injury and it's not kind of a, just a little dent in your metal that you can very quickly kind of uh, yeah. handle it. Could you, could you ensure, I guess my question is for, for perhaps for Kelly, because, because you, you do write e-bike uh, e policies, how difficult would it be to insure an e-scooter? And how similar would the policies look? I suspect that's probably a slightly unfair question because you haven't tried to write, write an e-scooter policy. But based on what Sten said so far, I'm just wondering how. And I'm not saying please don't give you know Lacker's company secrets away if there is an e-scooter product in the offing, and I've just you know ruined uh, a huge announcement for you. But based on what you know about both, and you're you're kind of the expert in the e-bike area, do you think that those policies? are similar enough that you could, again, talking about risk factors and things, that you could use use a sim very similar policy with very little work for an innovative company like yourself? I think in terms of the 
what the actual policy would look like. Um, again, it goes back to what the government defines the e-bike and the e-scooter as, and they're they're very different things because of, because of that definition. It therefore dictates what the policy needs to be, um, you know, including TNCs, etc. Um, you could, as a customer, buy an e-scooter policy at the moment. I think, um, but what would only be relevant are if it's used on private land. Um, so again, it's that's something that that consumers really need to be careful and cautious of in the small print. Is yes, you may see some um, companies come out saying we're now selling e-scooter insurance, but in all of those policies, it will say this is limited to to private land only. Um, so it's just a kind of word of caution. Um, just whilst we're on that point, just want to bring it up whilst we're there. Um, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but you can hire an e-bike. I know that some, like, I think in San Francisco, you, you can hire an e-bike because apparently the hills are too steep to cycle up. I mean, I don't cycle anywhere, so I have no idea what's steep or too steep. Um, but uh, but if you offer e-bikes for hire, do you need to provide the full range of insurance then? So um, in terms of the e-bike hire scheme, so you could take someone like, I don't know, someone like Lime, for example, um, and they would have a, an, an insurance underwriter. Um, but as we were talking about earlier, the main, the main issues are um, personal accidents um, and public liability. So they would be the elements that are currently covered when, you, when a, a customer goes to rent out a, an e-bike yeah so so you would be so you i suppose you are as a provider required to have insurance because you're being a provider as opposed to being a, a personal a, the owner this is so confusing yeah. uh <laughs> nigel do you want to go or should i let stem go no, i was just saying, I was just to say to your previous point uh kelly and, and i think about this a lot for people that re- listen to the show and know me i, I mean i'm i'm generally fascinated by the whole thing what one of my questions and this is a general one for for us all i guess is who, where is the onus on who sells these things? You know, going to one of the leading sales organisations of these, I won't mention their name, but you can go to any, any you know, online store or some of the store, physical stores these days, and it will clearly say, please note that the scooter is not to be used on public highways, only on private property with the owner's consent. I mean, should it be at the point, is the onus on the purchaser, the seller, or should we do as we do with guns, for example, and make sure that we, when we do turn up, that the person buying them does show a provisional driver's license and shows uh, insurance certificates or whatever else before they actually buy them? Because all we're doing by selling them is making the matter worse. I don't know a single person with enough private land to be able to drive this round the house. Maybe I'm oh. mixing the wrong circles. But <laughs> you, you confused me then. You went round the house, and I was like, no, not round the house. But I do know people who perhaps have gardens large enough where it might be entertaining. That said, I did see a child drive past me or ride past me on the pavement with a helmet on an e-scooter yesterday and nearly yelled out the window, that's illegal, and then thought probably not. <laughs> well, all the offices are empty at the moment. That These are all big open spaces, so maybe someone should uh, develop some kind of a, a plan around those. I was just going to say, no, did you remember the episode of InsureTech Insider we tried to record and there was somebody on an e-scooter going up and down in the corridor at WeWork? Yes, yes. No, not okay. No. Well, so who should who should the owners be on? Should it be on the retailers? Should the retailers be allowed to sell these in the first place? Or should there be controls in place if you're going to buy them? 
I think there's problems there with kind of those, technically those electric hoverboards that you stand on are illegal in the UK, but you can still get one off Amazon as far as I know, because I think the same rules apply to them. I think theoretically, if you say you're going to ride it in the garden, it's fine. But you won't go to, so if they're treated as motor vehicles, you don't go to a secondhand garage or new garage and buy a car. They won't let it out in the forecourt unless you've got insurance. So is it not the same thing? Yeah, I think the issue is that you don't need insurance. It's not a legal requirement because it's illegal to ride on the road. And, and again, that's where the confusion comes in. Yeah, okay, I, get, I buy that. I buy that. Don't <laughs> yeah. buy it because it's illegal to ride. God, this is confusing, isn't it? <laughs> so just so we're clear, just I'm just going to recap at this point. If you want to ride an e-scooter on English roads and you can only ride them on roads, there is no, and no way is it acceptable to ever ride on the pavement, then you must have a driver's license. You must also have insurance, but because the only way to legally ride an e-scooter in the United Kingdom is through a hire company, then you are insured. So that's the rules. The problem is that it's very easy to access these e-scooters online or anywhere because it's legal to buy them. So I think basically what we've established here is that insuring e-scooters one way or the other is something that people like uh, Zigo and in fact Lacquer for that matter could be or, or willing or whatever innovative companies can and will insure because they can work around problems. So the exciting thing here is that providing the insurance isn't a problem because we've got enough creative innovative people in the industry to, to, to do that. The wider problem, which kind of we've been touching on here, is kind of, is this product necessary? Is it going to be necessary in future? Perhaps we'll have a rollback. It's kind of, I suppose, at the moment, the confusion means, so say you get into e-scooter insurance, say you're already making money there, and then it turns out in five years' time, two years' time, one year' time, we, you don't need insurance anymore because we've reclassified them as, as e-bikes. I guess perhaps for the confusion for a, for a consumer is one thing, but I'm just suggesting that having been through all of this, perhaps there's some confusion for the insurers, the companies, that is this product they offer still going to be viable? Because at the moment, they've got a captive audience in the sense that they have these huge companies that want to make money hiring out e-scooters that have to have insurance. So it's great. They've got lots of potential customers. But I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure that this, the thought has occurred to you, Sten, so you probably have some very well-practiced and eloquent answer to the fact that what if I say that after the trial, they go, yeah, that's fine, but you don't need insurance anymore? Well, that's okay because it's a normal uh, motor, uh, so it's, it's a normal third-party insurance and third-party insurance has been offered for decades for different types of vehicles, all the way from kind of a, a school buses to three-wheel-like motorcycles, right? So it's just another vehicle. And I get, that was actually one of my points I wanted to make, is that if you think like many, many years ago, there were horses and there were no cars, and suddenly cars came on a road and no one really knew how to really, oh, there's a horses and there's a cars and how we handle all of this. And now I almost, it's a similar point that like a new incredible wave of new mobility vehicles are appearing so if i fast forward 10 years from now i think we can list probably a dozen different types of like e-scooter equivalents that are on the roads that people are using but this happens to be just the first one and it's almost like the classification and figuring out that needs to happen i mean germany is a great example how they've handled uh, the e-scooters there they clearly state what are the kind of requirements of the hardware they have a number of plates 
they clearly state the areas where the speed needs to be limited. And, and I think it's a great example. And the UK has many other European markets to learn from. Uh, but in the future, yeah, we, there's going to be, I bet there's going to be one person, a car that is very light. There's going to be all those kind of uh, different types of scooters or bikes and a mixture of those. This is where the world of uh, mobility is moving to. And we as uh, governments and insurance companies and just general service providers need to be able to adapt because that's going to be the new norm in my view. I, I think you're right. I think you're right there. As much as I don't want to admit it, I generally think, and having read lots on this stuff and seen them around, I get it. And I think, dare I say, given the current pandemic we're all living through and emerging from on, on different sides, the, the lack of desire to jump on a metal tin can packed with other people in someone else's armpit rather than on a scooter in the fresh air, at least while it's sunny and dry, I'm not sure how these work in rain or snow or, or whatever else, is much more appealing whilst we can. Just looking at some stats from one of uh, Sarah's favourite areas in New Zealand, they looked at something like um, 2,432 injury claims for e-scooter-related injuries costing a total of 1.5 million New Zealand dollars between October 18 and May 19. Now, that's a lot of claims in a very short period of time. I guess the only flip side to it is, to your point, lots of other countries have gone first, whether it's New Zealand, Asia, Australia, Canada, US, that these lessons should come to the UK about what we then do to try and put these in play going forward. I'm going to give Kelly an opportunity to answer that, and then I'm I'm going to bring us on to you, to the bit where you can entertain us with your your story, Nigel. So, Kelly, did you want to close out the show with a final thought on that, perhaps? Yeah, I think the the outcome of the the trial period that we're in at the moment will pretty much dictate how um, fleet and personal usage of e-scooters um, will kind of sink into society. But I do think you know moving from the government's um, pre-COVID green strategy um, to get more people on bikes and um, commuting for health and well-being reasons is now just hugely amplified due to COVID um, and stands right. We really do need to move into this kind of e-mobility future. And it will be great to to see everyone whizzing around on kind of e-bikes, bikes, scooters rather than cars. Um, but yeah, I, I think the government needs to lead on um, exactly how they intend for that to happen, not just in terms of insurance, but in terms of the in infrastructure as well. Um, so, yeah, we we wait. Yes, it's going to be interesting because um, we don't we won't go into this today. But I have thought the first time when somebody has told me that they used an e-scooter to go X Y miles, I was like, why don't you just walk? It's better for you. And the same as a push bicycle, it's better for you. And I know e-bikes are, are pedal assisted, but I do look at people on scooters, and sometimes a very small pit of me goes, "You're just lazy." Um, and I will leave it there. And I'm sure that that soundbite will come back to haunt me in the Christmas special. Um, all right, Nigel, um, there's a story here that I, I think um, you might like to summarise just to perhaps show um, how some people have not been entirely sensible already and perhaps maybe add some weight to the argument there should be some rules here. So look, I, I, and look, probably for the Christmas special as well, I'm going to say this, hopefully not for the last time, I genuinely believe e-scooters and e-bikes, e-bikes certainly, but e-scooters are inevitable. I get it, it makes sense. But as we've all agreed, they need the right uh, classification and rules so that we're clear. Here is an example of not clear. So this is uh, from Gizmodo on the 31st of July uh, this year, where a 24-year-old man was caught by the police driving an electric scooter 
down the M11. That's the motorway 11. Just in case anyone's confused, this is usually a three or six lane motorway. His excuse was that his car had run out of petrol and his plan was to scoot to the nearest petrol station, fill up on petrol and then scoot back to his car. Now, they don't say which way he was scooting, whether it was the wrong way or the right way, but never mind. The 24-year-old driver had been reported for careless driving, driving otherwise in accordance to license and having no insurance. Where do you even start with this? I mean, it's part of me thinks ingenious because that's a really smart thing to do. And maybe cars come with e-scooters that get deployed out of the back of them for the last couple of miles that you'll park and ride. And part of me thinking, what on earth were you doing, mate? It just it just sounds a little bit like an entry for the Darwin Awards to me. I should think, thank goodness the police got there because he could have, you know, not only caused an accident, but I don't think I'd want to walk or cycle or anything along that old motorway. Thank you very much. Um, does anybody else have any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's um, not that acceptable, but um, there's uh, but at the same time, it's like uh, those stories get a lot of attention. Like you get like crazy bikers going down the motorways and and cars doing everything but uh yeah it's uh this is a a tiny minority that really exists there which which will with clear rules and regulation will become like disappear or become very minimal or get all the headlines i mean ultimately i mean we all see it right we all see 94 year old man driving down wrong side of the motorway in in his bright blue mobility scooter gets the headlines rather than anything else it, but it's these sorts of stories or one in my local shopping centre where there's two guys, not one, two guys on the pavement, on an e-scooter, cycling the wrong way into pedestrians. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you're giving this whole thing a bad name. So we've got to almost crack down on it quickly before these things get out of control. I think there will always be people who give everything a bad name from driving to walking to cycling. Um, Kelly, I'm going to give you the final word today. Um, just to go back to Nigel's point about scooters are, you know, there are many retailers selling them now. They're very accessible to purchase, but yet they're illegal on public roads. Um, so, yeah, I, I think some some clarity is needed around the responsibility of, of kind of retailers um, on selling um, the, the scooters at the moment um, until there is guidance from government. Okay. Well, I think that's a very sensible and sane point to leave it on, given uh, the way that this conversation could have ended. So thank you so much. That wraps up our discussion. Thank you so much to my guests and to Nigel. Um, Where can our listeners find out more about you? Do you have Twitter handles, websites, LinkedIn's that you'd like to share? Kelly, let's start with you. I'd say everyone just go to lacquer.co. <laughs> Still not going to get me on a bike, but never mind. Um, Stan, how about you? Yeah, well, I post uh, on Ziga's blog every now and again with some of the thoughts I shared earlier. So that's one way. Um, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, possibly as well. And Nigel, when you're not sunning yourself in the Cotswolds, where can you be found? Are you fighting the good fight for scooters and pedal power bikes on Twitter at Nigel Walsh? And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instech Insiders or our 11FS LinkedIn page. That is 11 colon FS. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, which you can find on Spotify and any other podcast providers. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>